You are listening to the Science and Soul of Living Well, where we highlight evidence-based tools from psychological science and complementary and alternative medicine to help us all cultivate resilience and live with more meaning, purpose, and alignment with personal values, even in the most stressful and darkest of times. I'm Melissa Mingfoynes, your host, and I am also a clinical psychologist and educator, trauma-informed mindfulness meditation and yoga teacher, and Ayurvedic doula. Welcome, everyone. Thank you all so much for carving out the time today to join me for episode 30, Breaking Through Cycles of Perfectionism. This is the final episode in a three-part series on perfectionism. And as you know, this is a topic that I have felt so compelled by and really wanted to bring to life for all of you because perfectionism is something that I have grappled with in my own life. It is certainly something that I have observed many of my clients face in their own lives as well because I do think striving towards perfectionism is something that is often woven into the fabric of our society. It's often so ingrained, so habitual. We don't often recognize that we are engaging in perfectionistic tendencies or that our behavior is guided by perfectionistic standards. So as part of this series, I developed a free multi-page workbook that can be used as a companion piece to really any episode in this series, but particularly episode 29, which is a guided self-assessment episode. And the intention in creating this workbook was to help you explore the nuances of different life domains like physical fitness, appearance, profession, hobbies and vocation, parenting and mentorship, relationships, sexual life, physical environment, vulnerability, relationship to time and scheduling, relationship to success, and even self-worth and beliefs. And as a perpetual student myself, I adore learning and the process of learning. And so the combination of the workbook with this three-part series felt a bit like a masterclass or a mini workshop. So I hope that this free workbook If you haven't already seen it, I encourage you to download it. The link is in the episode notes. I hope the combination of the workbook and this series together helps you feel empowered to make changes in any areas of your life in which perfectionistic tendencies exist and don't serve you. And I also hope that these combination, uh, this combination of tools and strategies helps you feel as though you can approach this process with a sense of lightheartedness. Of course, it can be painful to examine, to self-inquire, to uncover aspects of our lives that are no longer serving us. But it can also be fun to get curious and explore. So that is the spirit from which I have offered the series and the free workbook. So I hope you've enjoyed it and I also really welcome your feedback. I also wanted to remind you that I only have two more spots left for the one-on-one coaching program and these will be the last two slots that I'll be offering for the rest of 2021. So if you are interested, feel free to send me an email, hello at melissafoynes.com or you can go to my website melissafoynes.com for more information and these links will also be in the episode notes. And I think both this perfectionism series and the self-assessment workbook together give you a sense 
sense of what it might be like to work with me in my one-on-one coaching program because in that program, I very frequently integrate personalized meditations that I create for clients as well as writing prompts to really help them work through some of the challenges they're facing. I'll often develop self-guided inquiry practices or body-based practices to explore some of these content areas as well. So if this episode today resonates with you, whether it's because of the approach itself or even the theme of perfectionism, I definitely encourage you to reach out and apply to that program. I'm also happy to talk with you more if you're interested and schedule a time to connect to answer any specific questions that you might have. Many of the clients who tend to seek out the holistic coaching program do struggle with perfectionism in their lives and want to utilize the coaching program to help them address perfectionistic tendencies, but it's certainly not the only challenge that I address with clients in that program. So broadly speaking, the coaching program is a personalized three-month program that blends wisdom from both Eastern and Western healing modalities in a way that is really catered to you to help you shift and transform the behaviors, relationship dynamics, self-limiting thought patterns that are most keeping you stuck in your life, that feel the most important to address. So the goal is to really address healing in mind, body, and spirit so that you can cultivate more intentional, embodied, and fulfilled living through an integration of evidence-based psychology as well as other wisdom traditions like different branches of yoga, like yoga asana, the physical practice of yoga, pranayama or breath work, as well as meditation and mindfulness practices. Also Ayurveda, which is the sister science of yoga. It's an ancient preventative medicine system that originated in India over 5,000 years ago. That system is a beautiful and complex system that really focuses on holistic well-being through daily and seasonal routines, nutritional support, the gut-brain connection, and a variety of lifestyle adjustments that can help bring you balance given your unique mental and physical constitution. So there really are a variety of really powerful resources that I bring to this coaching program in a way that really resonates with you, is personalized, catered to meet your unique needs and the specific challenges that you're facing with an intention of these tools and strategies being accessible and sustainable so that you can integrate them into your daily life in a consistent and regular way, even in the midst of pretty significant stress and a busy or active lifestyle. So definitely feel free to check out my website or reach out to me directly if you'd like to connect more about that program. So without further ado, let's transition into the episode focus for today. In today's episode, I'll really be focusing in on ways that you can break the cycle of perfectionism and shift perfectionistic tendencies. So I'll be highlighting various principles that I think are important to keep in mind as you go on this journey, as well as some helpful strategies and tips that I have found to be helpful in my life and have offered to clients with whom I work. And if you haven't already, I do encourage you to listen to episode 28, which is called Understanding Perfectionism, Root Causes, Myths, and Facts, where we really talk about what it means to struggle with perfectionism, the cost and benefits of perfectionism from more of a research-based perspective and highlight some of the most common reasons that perfectionistic tendencies can arise. 
I also really encourage you to listen to episode 29, which I mentioned a few minutes ago. It's a bit of a different episode because it's a guided self-assessment. And that is called Signs of Perfectionism, a guided self-assessment. Again, really intended to help you better understand the ways in which perfectionism can show up in different domains of your life. And again, you can download some of those free worksheets that accompany that episode to help you explore those domains if you find it helpful. So for today, we'll start off by reorienting to what perfectionism is for those of you who may not have had the chance to listen to those prior episodes. And we'll talk about the importance of identifying what motivates you on a personal level to let go of perfectionism. Once you uncover some of these perfectionistic tendencies in your life, why does this matter to you? We'll then talk about how to use the fears and hopes that underlie perfectionism in a way that can affirm your process of letting go of perfectionism that can help you stay motivated as well as help you flip the script. So as a brief example, many of us strive for perfectionism because of certain fears about what might happen if we are less than perfect or if we make mistakes. Or we strive for perfectionism because we think that it will get us something. We will feel more worthy. We will be more well-liked. And so oftentimes we can use those fears and hopes as a way to better understand what are some narratives that I want to reshape that can help me let go of perfectionism and what are some affirmations that or self-statements or mantras that are really personalized to me that can help me stay motivated and committed to this journey. We'll also talk about ways to not only practice imperfection in a way that is accessible and again can be easily integrated into a busy lifestyle, but also ways that we can admire it, that we can learn to celebrate imperfection. We'll also talk about strategies for shifting our relationship to mistakes. And I'll close by talking about both self-compassion and self-forgiveness and ways that you can practice both in your life and why the practice of both self-compassion and self-forgiveness are so essential to letting go of perfectionism. Because there are so many misconceptions about what perfectionism entails or what perfectionistic tendencies are, I want to take a moment to briefly define what perfectionism is. So perfectionism is very different from self-discipline, from having high standards. Perfectionism is really about having unrealistic standards and demands, so much so that they are impossible to meet and these can be unrealistic standards that you have for yourself for other people or even an expectation that you think other people require of you and it's not just about those unrealistic demands or standards it's also about having difficulty tolerating mistakes and imperfections in yourself or other people and even feeling preoccupied with other people's potential judgments of you because you might have an expectation that other people expect you to be perfect or that they hold you to these unrealistic standards. What this means is that perfectionism is the combination of unrealistic standards plus difficulty 
tolerating mistakes or imperfections or coping with mistakes and imperfections and at times feeling so highly distressed that there can be preoccupation or worry about other people's judgments of you when they see or witness your imperfections and mistakes. I think that one of the key foundational steps in letting go of perfectionism is beginning with an understanding of all of the ways in which striving for perfectionism hurts you and how it hurts you in different domains of your life. So considering some of the areas that we address in the self-assessment, body image, emotional, physical, spiritual, and sexual health and well-being, relationships, professional life, parenting, mentorship, hobbies, etc. Because unless we understand how perfectionistic tendencies are not serving us, it's hard to have the motivation for letting go of them because there may be ways in which they both do and don't serve us and so unless that cost benefit analysis weighs us towards the costs we might not have that motivation to let go of perfectionism because the reality is that it's really hard work and many of these tendencies are deeply ingrained because of society because of our families of origin because of our peer groups there are just so many ways in which these tendencies can get reinforced by our life experiences and cultural messaging and so We really need to be crystal clear with ourselves about why this matters. Why does it matter to you to let go of this perfectionistic tendency in this domain of your life? What are the costs? So you might consider depletion. Does this striving deplete you physically and mentally? Does it create a kind of self-focus that can be isolating and impair your relationships with other people? Does it fuel avoidance? Sometimes you can be so focused on being perfect that that focus on perfection distracts you from your anxiety. You don't have to sit with the anxiety and the fear that comes with taking risks and putting yourself out there and being vulnerable if you're focused on being perfect because you then won't take those steps. So that focus on perfectionism can perpetuate that avoidance of vulnerability and risk-taking and trying new things. You might consider whether striving for perfectionism takes you out of the present moment. For example, oftentimes when we are perfectionistic, we are very future-oriented. We're focused on a future that hasn't happened yet. We're focused on a certain outcome and we're so focused on that outcome that we miss out on the richness and the beauty of what is happening right now in this moment. We're missing out on the process. And on a related note, perfectionistic tendencies might derail you from what matters to you most. So for example, perhaps you're so focused on some kind of professional goal and perfecting that that task or not revealing your progress towards that goal until you feel like it's in a near perfect state. You might then be procrastinating on your dreams. You might be stagnating. You might be slowing down your progress and all of the energy that you're dedicating towards an unrealistic standard of perfection takes away from 
all of the channels in which you could be directing your energy. You could be channeling your energy into spending time with people you love or engaging in more nourishing self-care habits or setting healthy boundaries, observing limits, taking a step back to look at the larger picture of your life and really assess what you're doing and if it's in alignment with what you really want to be doing in this season of your life, in this chapter of your life. And I offer these examples because I think it can be helpful to just hear a bit about what are some of the reasons that someone might really commit themselves to letting go of perfectionism. You you might share some of these reasons. You might have very different ones. But I do think it's really critical to consider for yourself what are my personal reasons for letting go of perfectionism. Why isn't perfectionism good for me personally? And it might vary depending on the domain of life that you're considering. And so really reflecting on those domains of life separately can be really helpful as well. And you can then circle back to that list whenever you need reminders that strike a personal chord, that have that deeper personal resonance. But again, it's really about making this personal. Because while it can be helpful to remind yourself of something you heard on a podcast that was really inspiring or that is motivating you to make a life change or some research study that you read about in the newspaper and some of the evidence-based benefits for letting go of perfectionism. Oftentimes when we're in the throes of making a really hard change, those higher level motivators don't necessarily get us through those hard times because it doesn't feel immediately relatable or personal to us. So we have an intellectual understanding of why taking these steps, making these changes might be beneficial, but it doesn't necessarily help us get through that difficult moment when we're tempted to revert to the old behavior or the more comfortable place. I want to share an example of how this has unfolded in my own life in case it helps illustrate what I am trying to convey about the importance of really understanding the personal reasons that we feel compelled towards action. So my meditation practice is something that I have found to be hugely beneficial and transformative in my own life. And yet in order for it to continue to benefit me, it requires a lot of commitment, a lot of consistency, and honestly at times a bit of hard work for me to maintain a consistent regular meditation practice in the midst of a full life. And yet I know that my practice is something that nourishes me, that helps me sustain a full life. It helps me with inner balance. It helps me really approach life with a sense of awe and sincerity and presence, which is really how I want to be in the world. And I know all about the neuroscience research and the benefits of mindfulness. And as you all know, I love science. I'm very compelled by science. And yet, if I've had a really rough night's sleep or I'm really struggling in my life, there are a number of stressors happening the knowledge of the science, really thinking about the benefits in the way that I just described them to right now, the way that I articulated articulated them to right now, might not be enough to get me out of bed 
earlier than the rest of my family to meditate if that's where I need to fit in meditation that day or help me stop working on a task five minutes earlier and sit with the discomfort and the anxiety of leaving that task unfinished and potentially falling behind in a goal or a deadline in order to make room for my practice. So all of those reasons are true and valid and meaningful and yet in a moment of struggle where it's tempting to fall back asleep or not meditate, skip that day, those reasons may not help me connect to my deeper underlying why, the reason that I am trying to dedicate myself so wholeheartedly to this practice. So Having this list of these personal motivators that are very specific makes a huge difference. So for example, if instead of, yes, meditation helps me approach life with more sincerity and awe and presence, what does that look like? What does that translate into? What do people notice in me? What do I notice in myself when I am approaching life with that kind of presence, with that way of being? Well, I noticed that I'm so much more patient with him and that increased patience comes across in a calmer, less hurried tone of voice. It results in me actually trying to problem solve and get at the root of what he's experiencing rather than making assumptions about why he might be having a really difficult time following the order of operations of our morning routine. So it definitely helps me be more responsive and tuned in to what he needs in the moment and what I need for myself in that moment. So it helps me slow down, take a deep breath, be less reactive, notice when I'm having judgmental thoughts about him or myself in a way that doesn't perpetuate any conflict that we might be experiencing or any kind of emotional intensity. It also allows me to be so much more satisfied and fulfilled by our interactions because I'm deeply listening to his incredible stories about his day. I'm more participatory in our imaginative play scenarios when we're spending time together. I'm really savoring these micro moments of his laughter and his facial expressions and how he responds to story. And I'm really tuning into the sensations in my body when we're snuggling in the morning or he says something to me that's so precious. So my meditation practice really supports my ability to participate in my life in a way that attends to all of the nuances and complexities in a way that helps me enjoy and savor and appreciate the moments of joy and also in a way that helps me acknowledge the rawness and the tenderness of difficult moments and respond to that rawness and tenderness in a way that is resilient, in a way that is values consistent, in a way that helps me hold space for them and experience them without being carried away by them. So I encourage you to engage in a similar process of really identifying these personal motivators and really drilling them down to something that is very 
specific, almost something that you could really monitor or assess or evaluate the extent to which you are or are not doing them because I find that these specific personalized motivators are the things that keep us consistent. I also think it's important to not stop at the level of identifying these motivators. I think it can be incredibly supportive and helpful to then turn these motivators into some kind of reminder or cue that prompts you to remember what you are working on. So in the context of letting go of perfectionism, figuring out why this is important to you, how letting go of perfectionism would serve you better or more meaningfully in your life, and then figuring out how you can translate those motivators into reminders. Are there visual reminders? So for example, is there someone in your life who really inspires you with their vulnerability and their embracing of their own imperfections? And might you put a picture of them somewhere in your house or somewhere on your desk or in a place where you tend to be prone to perfectionism or to use the example of my son clearly for for me my son is a huge motivator for a lot of things in my life and also in letting go of perfectionism as a parent I definitely want to teach him that being imperfect is a part of being human and I don't want him to grow up feeling this high intense pressure towards perfectionism and I want him to have self-forgiveness when he makes mistakes. I want him to be able to hold himself with compassion and understanding when he messes up so that he can learn from it, so that he can grow, so that he can repair what needs to be repaired. And so for me, I might have a picture of my son as a reminder of the importance of letting go of perfectionism as a parent. You might be someone who's very inspired by quotes or poetry and so having some sort of reminder in that kind of format might be helpful. Or maybe you are someone who's really motivated by scientific facts and so having snippets from a journal article or printing out a copy of some kind of report and having that again, in a place that's visible might be really meaningful. So a lot of these examples I gave are visual, but certainly you could have auditory reminders. Perhaps there is a certain song that really inspires you to let go of perfectionism. Perhaps there is a clip from a podcast or a movie that you could listen to. Maybe you have an object in your home, something that's very treasured and important to you that has a chip or a crack or something that is imperfect about it that you could keep out in the open, again, as a reminder of the importance of letting go of perfectionism. So I think there's a lot of room for creativity in this process. So I encourage you to really spend some time with this process of not only identifying your personal motivators for letting go of perfectionism, but how you can then translate those personal motivators into cues or prompts to keep you consistent, to keep you inspired in the process of letting go of perfectionism. Another practice or exercise that can really support us in this process of letting go of perfectionism is considering our underlying fears and hopes that we are attaching to perfectionism and striving for perfectionism. So let's start with fear. So think of a situation in your life or a domain in your life in which you notice really being hard on yourself when you make mistakes or really causing, creating intense pressure 
as you strive for perfection, even if intellectually you recognize and accept that perfection in this particular life domain is not attainable. And so as you consider that life domain, consider how you would complete this statement. If I make a mistake, then... What negative outcome do you most fear? What might it mean about you? What would it say about you if you made a mistake in that domain? Or what might happen if your imperfections in that domain were revealed? And write down what those fears are. Put them on paper. Get them out of your head onto the page. And so maybe there was something that came immediately to you and maybe you're stuck. You're not sure how to answer this question. And so I'll offer some examples. Are you concerned that if you make mistakes as a parent, your child will be permanently damaged or will grow up insecure or with low self-esteem? Are you concerned if you make a mistake that you will be judged or criticized in a way that will feel too difficult or painful to bear? Are you concerned that this mistake or imperfection will make you a less desirable romantic partner? Or that you might have a hard time finding or sustaining a certain friendship? Are you concerned that a mistake in this domain might lead you to miss out on an important opportunity at work? Are you concerned that a mistake in that domain would create so much shame that it would be hard to show up the next day or to continue in that relationship? Are you concerned that some kind of setback or failure in this domain would destroy your own self-esteem? So oftentimes when we consider our underlying fears of imperfection and making mistakes, when we consider how we would complete that sentence, if I'm imperfect then, or if I make a mistake then, these catastrophic worst-case scenarios emerge. And these worst-case scenarios act a little bit like alarm bells. And we can get pretty convinced that it's dangerous to mess up or be imperfect. And I'm not saying that there aren't situations in which imperfections and mistakes don't lead to really costly outcomes. There are, of course, severe accidents and even death that can unfortunately happen following mistakes. What I am saying is that oftentimes we confuse discomfort and danger. And when we get convinced that these catastrophic worst case scenarios are likely to occur, we maintain our efforts towards perfectionism in order to avoid these hypothetical negative consequences. You can also consider the opposite. So instead of focusing on fears, let's shift gears and focus on hopes for a minute. So thinking about what do you hope to achieve or gain when you are striving for perfection in this particular life domain? What positive outcome will perfection offer you? So you might try to complete the sentence, if I do this perfectly then, or if I'm able to impress them 
with high performance then, or if I'm able to be successful in an extreme way then, because those kinds of inquiries might help you uncover what is the positive outcome that you're hoping to attain through perfectionism? What is the hope that is driving you towards those strivings? And oftentimes you'll find at the core, whether you focus on fear or whether you focus on hope, what is driving you towards perfectionism is a sense of worth. So in some sense, not believing that you are worthy as you are, that some kind of success or perfectionism will enhance your worth in some kind of way. So sometimes it's not just about doing things perfectly. It's about being perfect. And the sense of high worth or higher worth that we wrap up in the attainment of this impossible ideal of perfection. These if-then statements, these hypothetical scenarios, the things that we hope for, that we fear, reveal our narratives, our schemas around perfectionism and what perfectionism means to us and what imperfection means to us. And we can't challenge narratives that are harmful, belief systems that are harmful, until we first identify them. And so that identification in terms of understanding the meaning that we're attaching to perfectionism or lack thereof, helps us then shift the script and rewrite these narratives. And one way that we can do this is through self-statements or affirmations. And as many of you who have been following me for a while are aware, there is some research that shows that affirmations can be helpful and they can also really be harmful depending on our self-esteem level. And I share this with you to empower you to create self-statements or affirmations with this research in mind so that you can be crafting the kinds of affirmations and self-statements that will support you and help you rather than harm you. And I think there is a lot of attention on social media and in self-help materials regarding affirmations. And while that material can be very beneficial to some people, it can be harmful to others. And so I think it's important to take a really nuanced approach and figure out what really works for you. If you are someone who has high self-esteem, which of course is subjective, you are someone who may generally, according to the research, benefit from repeating positive affirmations and positive self-statements. And specifically when you are repeating the affirmation or self-statement, focusing on the truth of the statement. How what you are saying applies to you, describes you, reflects the truth of who you are. However, if you identify as someone with lower self-esteem, if you repeat positive affirmations, it can actually worsen your mood, especially if the statement that you are repeating or reading aloud is misaligned with how you view yourself. In light of this research, my recommendation is to come up with a statement that has elements that may 
be not true right now, things that you aspire to or have the intention to cultivate, as well as what is true right now. And that way, when you repeat the affirmation, when you say it aloud, whatever the system is that you're working with, with the affirmations, maybe you're also writing them down repetitively, that if you have statements that have elements that feel true and not true and focus on what feels true and not true about the statement, that is more effective than coming up with something that feels misaligned, that doesn't feel true and repeating that and focusing on that. So that's really the crux of the research is making sure that you focus on what is both true and not true about an affirmation or a self-statement when you say it aloud or say it aloud or repeat it and I personally find that easier to do when the statement itself contains elements that are both true and not true. I find it easier to focus on what is true and what is not true when both aspects, both elements are present in the statement itself. So one tip I can offer in this regard is to come up with a self-statement that acknowledges your pain point because often we are able to believe our pain. We identify with our pain. And so making sure that you're honoring and acknowledging and making space for your pain point. And then also making sure that you include in your affirmation or your self-statement something that your pain point might be causing you to overlook. Some kind of vulnerability that led you to make the choice that you made. Perhaps how much effort you're putting into making a change in your life certain aspects of success that you might be minimizing because of some of the failures and setbacks or mistakes. Maybe certain qualities or details of what happened that are being overshadowed by the parts that were really hard and challenging. I'd love to offer several examples of what I mean by this sort of hybrid affirmation or self-statement that includes both true elements and elements that don't feel true and that acknowledges the pain point as well as something that the pain point is causing you to perhaps overlook. So one example when it comes to perfectionism could be something like I'm disappointed about what happened so that's your pain point. I imagine that you can get behind the truth of that that you are disappointed about what happened. And then the second part of your statement could be something like and My worth is not based on my achievements or my relationships or my appearance, whatever it is that feels most relevant. And that second part of this statement may be something that doesn't quite feel true yet. That you, again, acknowledge on an intellectual level that your worth isn't 100% based on your achievements. It is not contingent upon your relationships or your appearance. And yet, It's something that doesn't emotionally feel resonant or true. And so when you say the statement, I'm disappointed about what happened and my worth is not based on my achievements or my relationship status, you can then focus on the elements that feel true, I'm disappointed, and the elements that maybe feel less true right now. So another example could be something like, I hate that I messed up or I'm hating myself for messing up, and mistakes are a part of trying new things. 
So I think you can see where I'm going with this, where having this and can bridge the pain point as well as something else that the pain point might be causing you to overlook or distorting your perception around. And so this second part of the statement might not feel quite true yet, but it might be an attitude or a belief system or a schema that you're trying to cultivate. It might be a script that you are rewriting, a new narrative you want to create around perfection and imperfection. So I'll offer a few other examples in case it helps helps you get your creative juices flowing. Another example, something like I'm anxious and I'm here to learn not to be perfect. I wish I had done better and I'm going to try to really learn from this experience. I'm afraid of what they're going to think and I know relationships are built on connection, not perfection. I really want to meet this goal and I know there's value in the process too. I'm discouraged and I intend to work on forgiving myself. I am so sorry for what I did and I understand how my own suffering contributed. I feel guilty saying no and I know I can't be all things to all people all the time. It's painful to admit what I did wrong and this acknowledgement brings me closer to reconciliation and repair. I made a mistake and I still deserve compassion. It's hard to be criticized and I can discern what feedback I want to internalize and leave the rest. I could have done better and it doesn't need to be perfect to be powerful. Sometimes the imperfect is more powerful. This feels like a mess and I know I have the skills I need or and I know I can seek out the support required to recover and move through. I struggle to rely on others and I know it's important to delegate to delegate for this to be sustainable. Without these standards it feels like things will fall apart and I know unrealistic standards create tension and increase likelihood of mistakes. I'm afraid of being disappointed and I know that I can learn to handle disappointment. It feels like them messing up means they don't care and I know that even people who deeply love me will sometimes hurt me. I've been taught I need to give 110% And I know it's critical for my well-being to strategically channel my energy and discern what's important. I'm afraid if I'm too flexible, they'll take advantage. And I know that when other people are flexible with me, it helps create a greater sense of safety. I hope you find these examples helpful. And as you know, I really do believe in the power of personalization and really taking these strategies and trying them on, experimenting with them, making them your own. And so I want you to know that it can take time. It can take time to arrive at the kinds of self statements and affirmations that really feel like they strike this 
balanced hybrid of elements that feel true in this moment and elements that might feel less true that you're trying to cultivate that you're working towards reshaping or rewriting but it is completely possible and sometimes it can even help to get the perspective of a trusted loved one to weigh in as you are crafting these kinds of statements. The next principle I want to highlight that I think is really important to keep in mind when we are breaking through cycles of perfectionism is the importance of consistency and recognizing that consistent practice can help you break even the most ingrained perfectionistic tendencies. Sometimes these patterns and tendencies become so habitual that we're convinced that they're who we are. Oh, I'm a perfectionist. This is just who I am. And so we resign ourselves to the fact that change isn't possible when that absolutely is not the case. And the reality is the more that you allow yourself to show up repeatedly in imperfect ways, the more you will actually enhance your ability to not only tolerate imperfection, but also to recover from moments of imperfection and the distress that those moments of imperfection might cause you. And so as we're considering the importance of consistency in practicing imperfection as an antidote to perfectionism and perfectionistic tendencies, really appreciating that practicing imperfection is something that can help us break through that perfectionism cycle This practice begins with identifying what that needs to look like for you. So again, as we've been talking about in this episode and in prior episodes, not all of us are going to exhibit perfectionistic tendencies in the same ways, in the same relationships, across all circumstances, in different roles and identities and settings in our lives. And so really understanding where you want to begin where the perfectionistic tendencies are most problematic in your life perhaps or where you feel you are most willing to begin or where you feel as though shifts might most easily be made but choosing a starting point and identifying what would be the opposite of perfectionistic tendencies in that circumstance or what would practicing imperfection look like? Does that look like asking other people for help? Does it look like making your mistakes public Now, making mistakes public doesn't necessarily mean publicizing it on social media or telling absolutely everyone in your inner circle about what happened, but it could mean intentionally choosing someone to share this vulnerability with as a way of counteracting the shame or the tendency to hide that we often experience in the face of imperfection. Does practicing imperfection to you look like trying something new that you've been avoiding for a long time? Does it mean admitting when you're wrong and admitting when you're wrong in a wholehearted way as you really contact the emotions that you feel when you consider this wrongdoing? Does it mean speaking up for what you believe in? Does it mean revealing more parts of yourself or becoming more visible in ways that counteract ways in which you've been hiding. So again, many people might only attend a social event or meet up with a friend if they're wearing certain clothes or have their hair styled in a certain kind of way or wearing a hat or only if they've shaved. And so really figuring out what are some ways that you could 
reveal more of yourself, that you could show up less perfectly. This could also involve more disclosure. Are there certain ways that you cater your disclosure accordingly depending on who you're talking to and could you have a little bit less of a filter or expose something that's a little bit more vulnerable again not necessarily taking a risk that isn't safe but really trying to discern the difference between a situation that is actually emotionally dangerous and doesn't necessarily warrant increased vulnerability and a situation where increased vulnerability might actually enhance connection and me might be a form of practicing taking a risk and practicing imperfection is there a way in which practicing imperfection might look like greater self-acceptance does self-criticism and not accepting yourself is that a form of perfectionism that you tend to gravitate towards does it mean procrastinating less in certain areas of your life does it mean finding this way to celebrate the done is better than perfect or the good enough principle is there a way that practicing imperfection is about releasing guilt and setting boundaries might it look like focusing more on process rather than outcome Might practicing imperfection be about prioritizing your own needs more often relative to other people? Or might it involve celebrating successes in a less black and white way, really trying to attend to the positive elements of your success that might at times be overshadowed by some of the aspects you're less proud of or that feel more negative? So once you identify what practicing imperfection looks like to you, It's critical to figure out how you will know you're making progress towards this goal. So really operationalizing what this looks like. So kind of like what we were saying earlier, it can really help to drill things down. So say for example, I'm focusing on procrastinating less. If I have this generic goal of less procrastination, that's a very positive intention. It might be a very meaningful goal, but it's hard to measure the extent to which I may or may not be making progress towards that. However, if I say to myself, okay, I'm going to first work on procrastinating less at work and specifically around preparing for presentations and so I have this presentation coming up in October and so I am going to do something totally different rather than waiting until the night before or 48 hours before I'm going to start practicing in August and I'm going to spend 15 minutes a day on that presentation I'm going to schedule it into my calendar so it doesn't have to be that formulaic but really getting a sense of How will you know that you are making progress as a way to both celebrate your successes but also know when you are veering off track and can then recalibrate and figure out, okay, what's getting in the way of me practicing imperfection? How can I support myself? What barriers are coming up that maybe I didn't anticipate? How can I problem solve those? And sometimes it can really help to start in low stakes scenarios and work your way up to more anxiety provoking ones. So really figuring out where is a situation that might be a little bit outside of my comfort zone but not so much so that I might get flooded and overwhelmed and give up quickly. 
because that can really reinforce the belief that we can't actually make change in these areas. So the more that you practice imperfection in those lower stakes scenarios that are still meaningful and still are worth celebrating as you practice imperfection in them, you build your confidence slowly and you can work your way up over time and gradually approach some of the more intimidating scenarios in which to practice imperfection. As you work on fine-tuning a plan for practicing imperfection, you might notice fear and anxiety start to creep in in a more intense way, which is really common as we are approaching something new and different and experimenting with an alternative way of being. And I think That is one reason that this practice of consistency is just so important because the more that we practice facing fear, the more confident we become in our ability to face it. And Justin Michael Williams once said this very powerful statement that has stuck with me ever since I heard him say it, which is both fear and faith require you to do one thing. To believe in something that you can't see and that hasn't happened yet. And I just love this quote so much for so many reasons. But one is that it really highlights how if you can experience fear, you can also experience faith and trust. Because it's just a different way of channeling the same kind of energy. They both require us to believe in something that we can't see that hasn't happened yet. And so if we're going to be doing that anyway, why not choose the path of faith and trust? And so for me, this practice of imperfection, this consistent practice of imperfection is also an act of trust and faith in ourselves. It's perseverance. It's about continuing to do the hard thing over and over again, even when it's vulnerable, even when it's scary. And it's about envisioning what is possible beyond the confines of our immediate circumstances, imagining beyond the boundaries of what is present in the here and now. And it's about continuing to commit to the life that we are trying to cultivate and create. And as you all know, The harsh reality about emotions is that we don't get to selectively choose which emotions we experience in life. So if we limit our fear by refusing to be vulnerable, by avoiding stepping outside of our comfort zone, we're also limiting our joy too. I think it's also important to keep in mind how in this space of fear, our perspective can become somewhat distorted. So we can underestimate our ability to cope with imperfection and that can convince us to not practice it we might also overestimate other people's negative reactions to our imperfections so in essence we're imagining things to be much worse in our minds then they end up being in reality but it is only through the practicing of imperfection that we really test out what happens and we can really experientially get a feel for not only how other people will react in reality but how we will be able to cope and so we can then see ourselves in real time survive regardless of how people respond to our imperfections we can see that we can deal we can get through it so it enhances our ability to tolerate 
the discomfort of imperfection and also enhances our confidence and oftentimes the more risks we take the more practice that we engage in around imperfection the more ease we can find in it it doesn't mean that it necessarily hurts less but it might mean that we recover more quickly or we're not destroyed by it so even if someone does react negatively to an imperfection we can separate their reaction out from our sense of inherent worth so it hurts but it doesn't destroy us it doesn't overtake us it doesn't define us And with this increased sense of resiliency, we can then learn to take things less personally and have more clarity with which to discern what feedback is helpful, what isn't, so we can look for the kernels of wisdom in the feedback that we are getting from the environment and leave the rest, leave what isn't helpful. So there are all sorts of reasons that I think the practice of imperfection is so important that extend way beyond the practice of imperfection in and of itself. And really the main message I want to convey is that purposefully practicing imperfection does work. Another key principle that I think is really important to keep in mind as we are interrupting these cycles of perfectionism is the importance of leaning into and learning from our inevitable mistakes. So as you all know, mistakes are an important part of how we learn, how we grow, and how we improve. But only when we tune in rather than tune out. So there's a whole lot of research that shows that if we ignore, cover up, or avoid thinking about our failures, which of course can happen if we are overly attached to perfectionism, there can be that drive to hide them, that we actually won't learn from failure. So it's actually not the mistakes that predict whether we learn from failure it's how well we are willing to own them and acknowledge them to ourselves and other people so I find that really powerful a very powerful distinction so if you're going to fail at some point anyway which you will because we all will it might as well be a growth opportunity and so this really requires a willingness to get up and up close and personal with your failures and mistakes so that you can learn from them and you can be guided by their wisdom. And it is often through your mistakes and the feedback that you get from others that might sting that you can get clearer about your vision of what matters to you most or you can fine-tune a project to make it even better or identify what kinds of skills you want to acquire to be more aligned with the kind of parent you want to be. So there are just so many examples of ways in which the process of mistakes and owning them and really leaning into them and trying to discover what they can teach us can result in something that's even more beautiful or even more successful. One example that I think highlights this point very beautifully, both literally and metaphorically, is the Japanese art form of kintsugi 
or golden repair. And this is an art form that historians believe came about in the 15th century. So it's 400 plus years old. And it's an art form that really honors an artifact's unique history by emphasizing breaks and cracks and imperfections and treating them as part of the object's unique history. And so this is a method often used in pottery or ceramics where broken objects are seamed together with a lacquer, resin, and powdered gold, silver, or platinum. And when I think about this, I think about how so often when we are imperfect or we fail, we feel broken. And we picture broken pieces shattered on the floor. We don't think about something being seamed together with these golden veins, these golden cracks. And so I love this art form as a way of demonstrating that the process of repairing things are that are broken can help us create something that is unique and resilient and beautiful in its own way even with and especially with the cracks and the broken places so it highlights the beauty of the flaws and so it's not just about tolerating the flaws it's about admiring them and appreciating them, approaching them with a sense of awe and reverence because we so often earn those scars and are guided by those scars in a way that brings such wisdom and a profound ability to really be present with all of life. I think it's also important to keep in mind that imperfection can also bring us closer it can enhance intimacy in relationships so consider whether would you really want a friend or a partner who was a hundred percent perfect so really think about that is that what you would really really want because it is often through the sharing of our struggles that we can relate to one another on a deeper level and more powerfully encourage and inspire one another. When I personally think back on some of the dearest friendships in my life and the moments that really transformed those relationships that took them to a deeper level, I think about moments of shared vulnerability or someone really exposing something about themselves that was hard to acknowledge or admit or even working through a difficult conversation or conflict together. And so I think keeping in mind that perfection isn't necessarily something we would want in other people, and so why would we expect it from ourselves? And I think Brene Brown makes this point very beautifully when she says, vulnerability is 
courage in you and inadequacy in me. That oftentimes, even though we intellectually recognize that we don't want someone else to be perfect, that we still don't feel like it's okay for us to be perfect. And there is some research on this. Some psychologists call this the quote-unquote beautiful mess effect, that we're often really relieved when other people are truthful and show their vulnerability. Yet, we get really afraid to acknowledge our flaws in an honest way and oftentimes consider it much more problematic when we do it than if someone else were to do it. So I think to me that research just really is a call to action and highlights how human it is to see someone else's vulnerability as courage but to denigrate it in ourselves and to see that as an opportunity to flip the script and do something different and to really step into our own vulnerability as a source of courage and to keep in mind this Japanese art form of kintsugi as we grow towards an admiration and a celebration and a full-fledged appreciation of our flaws and our cracks and our imperfections. The final principle I want to highlight that I think is important to keep in mind as we break through cycles of perfectionism is the importance of boosting your skills in both self-compassion and self-forgiveness. As I've been saying throughout this series, it's not a matter of whether you will make a mistake, but a matter of when. And so how you respond to yourself in those moments of mistake and failure and imperfection is critical. Imperfection is a part of being human. And even if you understand this fact on an intellectual level, when you are expecting yourself to be perfect, when you are striving for perfection, when you are being harsh with yourself, when you fall short of the unattainable ideal of perfection, you aren't fully accepting the reality that perfectionism is not realistic. And so in doing so, you are setting yourself up for failure. And when you engage in self-criticism and self-flagellation in response to those mistakes, it can keep you stuck and it can steer you away from engaging in activities that bring you joy and a sense of meaning. But if you instead accept imperfection as a part of the human condition and expect mistakes, you will be more prepared for when they do occur and can then respond to yourself with increased compassion and understanding as a result. And this stance of self-kindness can in turn allow you to forgive yourself for what happened and move forward with new insights, learning, and a commitment to change. I do want to lift up three prior podcast episodes that I think could be really beneficial for you to reference as you continue this journey towards breaking through cycles of perfectionism. And those episodes are episode 9, which is focused on self-forgiveness, and episodes 22 and 23, which focus on self-criticism and one of its antidotes, which is self-compassion. So we will be talking a little bit about each of these today, but because these are huge topics with so much richness and opportunity for practice, I wanted to remind you of those additional resources as well because I think they could be a great complement to this conversation today. 
Self-compassion is a practice that not only facilitates your process of self-forgiveness, but is one that also has a multitude of benefits in and of itself. So as a few examples, self-compassion has been shown in research to be linked to reductions in burnout, depression, anxiety, and shame, and also has been shown to be associated with increased happiness and life satisfaction. And as you consider ways to enhance the practice of self-compassion in your own life, I think it can be helpful to keep in mind the key elements of self-compassion that are supported by research. The first element is mindfulness. So really bringing an honest acknowledgement to your experience, a recognition of the depth of your pain, of your suffering. The second is an understanding of common humanity, the shared human experience. Recognizing how your experience right here, right now, is a part of being human and that there are other people in this world or who have come before you or who will follow you in the future who have gone through similar sources of pain and suffering, even with different circumstances, even with unique constitutions and life experiences. And the third element is self-kindness. So really being able to show yourself some kind of nurturance or support through a compassionate statement, a compassionate physical gesture, or even a compassionate action. And so to truly be practicing self-compassion, we would be attending to all three of these elements. Self-forgiveness is also a practice that has been shown through research to have a multitude of benefits. And self-forgiveness is an experience, a practice that I have come to understand in new ways over time. So my understanding of both self-compassion and self-forgiveness continued to evolve. But a brief way that I can summarize self-forgiveness to you now is not pushing yourself or any part of yourself out of your own heart. And that understanding of self-forgiveness has been influenced by many of my teachers, one of whom is Tara Brock. And this quote by Chogyam Trungpa, I think, really highlights for me one of the key elements of self-forgiveness. And the quote is, The essence of human bravery is refusing to give up on anyone or anything, including ourselves. So to me, that really speaks to the spirit of self-forgiveness as one in which we are not giving up on ourselves or any part of ourselves. Now, this doesn't mean that when we forgive ourselves that we are condoning or excusing harmful behavior, but rather we are bringing a stance of understanding and compassion to our humanity in a way that recognizes our humanity without that excusing or condoning. So we're trying to release any resentment or hatred that we feel towards ourselves for our own actions. And many people, many students, many clients will ask me, well, isn't that just letting yourself off the hook, taking away your responsibility. And actually what I have found to be true in my own life is that 
self-forgiveness is often the seed of both responsibility and responsivity. So it's really the beginning of being able to fully embrace and acknowledge our own suffering and the suffering that we may have caused others. And as I discuss in episode nine, the episode on self-forgiveness, it's often not possible to forgive ourselves until we have in some way made amends, have made repairs to those we've injured. And certainly the process of amends and reconciliation is often an important part of the self-forgiveness process. As we're here today talking about breaking cycles of perfectionism, I think it's so important to lift up the importance of self-forgiveness because as we are failing, letting people down, disappointing ourselves and those that we love, we need to find a way to forgive ourselves, to soften the hardness that we may have towards ourselves in our hearts so that we can be responsible and we can be responsive to our suffering and the suffering of others. And as my teacher Tara says, we also can't will self-forgiveness. We can't force it. It takes the time that it takes. It's often a journey. It can be an iterative process. With self-forgiveness, we often are coming up against deeply wired beliefs. Many of you listening have met demons of self-hatred and intense self-blame and guilt and a lot of those emotions and thoughts are rooted in early life experiences, recent life experiences, criticisms and abuses that you've been met with from other people. So there is a lot that we are up against when we are practicing self-forgiveness, as is the case with perfectionism. So we often have to address self-forgiveness over and over again. So each time we blame ourselves in a harsh way, we go through this process of forgiving ourselves of bringing understanding and compassion to ourselves again and again and again it's often not a destination that we arrive at but rather a journey that we're continuing on a direction that we are going in again and again and again and so while we can't will it we can't force it we can have willingness we can have the intention to forgive or to practice forgiveness, even if it doesn't feel accessible in this moment, even if it, if it feels out of reach in this moment, even if it feels like we don't deserve it in this moment. Even though you recognize that perfection isn't possible, it may still be challenging to forgive yourself when you fall short of perfection, when you mess up, when you fail. And even though you recognize there are these important benefits to self-forgiveness, one really common barrier is the fear that our shadow, our darkness, the parts of us that we're not proud of will rule. They'll take over if we forgive ourselves. Another fear is that if we don't blame ourselves, 
we won't improve. We won't become the people that we want to be. And so forgiving ourselves can feel like it's actually getting in the way of our growth. And a third really common barrier is that we feel like we deserve to punish ourselves, that we're not entitled to forgiveness. And so I ask you to consider if there is an area of your life, whether it's related to perfectionism or not, where you notice it's challenging to forgive yourself or to even bring some level of compassion and understanding to your actions, consider what feels so wrong about forgiving yourself. What concerns you about letting go of this self-blame? And just notice what comes up. What kind of response comes back to you? Is there a sense that you don't deserve it? You'll get away with it. If you forgive, you'll just do it again. You'll never improve. And continue to reflect, asking yourself, what difficult feeling might I have to experience if I let go of self-blame? What might be difficult to feel that I'd have to feel or encounter if I let go of this story of I'm bad, I'm horrible, it's my fault, I shouldn't have done that, I should have known better. What might you have to contact? And I ask these questions because for most of us, when it comes to self-forgiveness, there's a lot of self-blame. And when we let go of the narrative that we're bad, that we're wrong, that we're at fault, there's often something raw and vulnerable underneath there. Whether it's in the form of fear or shame or grief or loneliness, there's often something that's really hard to feel that that self-blame has been buffering. So that self-blame, that very self-blame that is blocking us from self-forgiveness is buffering us from some kind of raw vulnerability. And as we're not forgiving ourselves, we're not opening to the fullness of that raw reality underneath. And so in some way, it's easier or safer to keep on not forgiving ourselves than to open up to what's underneath it. So it gives us that false sense of control. It protects us. And so on the one hand, that might feel kind of appealing to be prevented from contacting the full rawness of experience. And yet when we're caught in not forgiving, we're caught in what my teacher Tara would say is a trance. And by trance, she means that our reality becomes narrowed and, and fixated and we're really forgetting about the larger context, the broader humanity, the broader landscape. We're forgetting the suffering that we might have experienced that might have caused us to cause suffering. And again, that doesn't mean that it excuses it in any way, but it does mean that it's relevant. It does mean that that is a part of the process that needs to be addressed too. 
So self-forgiveness is part of this whole trajectory of really becoming more awake, of evolving in our consciousness. So we're moving from that fight, flight, freeze, fawn, limbic system mode of aggression and abuse towards ourselves to a more fully integrated place where we're using all parts of our brain. And so calling on compassion and forgiveness is a form of really trying to be in this more cohesive, holistic state. And we're really trying to be with whatever is underneath that storyline of blame, whatever is buffering us, preventing us from self-forgiveness, really contacting those actual feelings with kindness. And as I said earlier, sometimes it's hard to say I forgive myself because we're not there yet and sometimes those words forgiveness itself can have a lot of negative connotations given our history so instead of I forgive myself or I intend to forgive myself you could experiment with intentions like I hold my suffering with understanding or compassion or I care about my pain or I'm suffering too I caused suffering and I'm suffering too So I'll close with a poem by Dana Falds. And Dana writes, Do you value your reasons for staying small more than the light shining through the open door? Forgive yourself. Perfection is not a prerequisite for anything but pain. Please, oh please, don't continue to believe in your stories of separation and failure. This is the day of your awakening. So in summary, we began today by starting with a shared definition of what perfectionism is by talking a bit about the importance of identifying what motivates you, what calls you to this work of letting go of perfectionism and breaking through these cycles of perfectionistic tendencies. We also talked about understanding what underlies our perfectionistic tendencies. What are our hopes that we attach to perfectionism? What are our fears and concerns that come up when we consider not being perfect? And how can we turn those underlying hopes and fears into affirmations? How can we use that understanding to help us flip the scripts of our lives to reshape our narratives. We also talked about accessible ways to not only practice imperfection, but to enter a space of admiration and reverence for our imperfections. And we also talked about shifting our relationship to mistakes, really leaning in and taking wisdom from those experiences. And finally, we ended by talking a bit about the role of boosting both self-compassion and self-forgiveness when it comes to letting go of perfectionism. So as always, thank you all so much for taking the time to join me for this episode. This is a topic that I am so passionate about, which is why I did three episodes on this topic and I hope you find it helpful. I'd love to hear from you, to get your feedback and thoughts, and I look forward to you joining me next time. Thank you for listening to the Science and Soul of Living Well. 
If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, or leave a review. And if you'd like to reach out or connect more, I would love to hear from you. So please check out my website or follow me on Instagram. To find me on Instagram, you can search for Dr. Foynes, that is D-R-F-O-Y-N-E-S. And to learn more about me and connect via my website, you can visit melissafoynes.com. That is M-E-L-I-S-S-A-F-O-Y-N-E-S.com. Thank you so much for carving out the time to join me this week, and I look forward to having you join the next time.